Keywords in Play. You're listening to Keywords in Play, an interview series about game research supported by Critical Distance and the Digital Games Research Association. As a joint venture, Keywords in Play expands Critical Distance's commitment to innovative writing and research about games, while using a conversational style to bring new and diverse scholarship to a wider audience. In this episode, we're talking with Rob Gallagher, who is a teaching fellow in literature and the digital at Royal Holloway University of London. His most recent book is Video Games, Identity, and Digital Subjectivity. And now Rob will introduce himself and his work. Hi, uh, thanks, Emily. Yes, uh, my name is Rob, and uh, I am now based at Royal Holloway, but uh, until very recently, I was working as a postdoctoral researcher at King's College London, uh, on a European Research Council project called Ego Media, uh, and the the remit was to investigate the impact of digital technologies on how people uh, present themselves, uh, narrate their life stories, and understand their identities. Uh, and a lot of my work focused on the networked voice and on avatars and on gaming, uh, which is obviously the topic of my book. Uh, so I've been thinking a lot about that intersection of uh, identity, life stories, and digital games. The topic that we're going with for this episode is discussing interface games. So to start off, uh, this is something that you've written about. And how would you define interface games and how do they relate to your larger research area of digital self-presentation and life writing? In terms of a definition, I guess I would say interface games uh, or desktop sims, which is another tag that people sometimes use, kind of mimic the look and to some extent the features and the functions of digital platforms and devices. And this is obviously something that uh, games are uniquely suited to doing a a novel or a film could kind of represent a social network or a digital device Uh, but games can kind of incorporate these scaled down simulations of them into the game worlds and in terms of how that relates to self-presentation and life writing uh, some of the games I've looked at are very directly autobiographical so a a game like Nina Freeman's Sibele sort of recounts a particular period in her life Uh, by kind of giving you access to a recreation of her desktop from the time uh, and it incorporates uh, photos and chat logs and other files uh, from that era uh, into the game. Um, In other cases, uh, it's not so directly about recounting a particular person's life story, um, but it might be that the game uh, is foregrounding and asking us to think about the ways that digital platforms Uh, kind of frame our identities and our relationships and our interactions. Uh, So another game that I looked at in my book was uh, Mitu Kandeka's Redshirt, which kind of satirizes the way that Facebook uh, gamifies our relationships and introduces this element of competition and calculation uh, into things like romance and friendship. I suppose another way or a different spin on the idea of the interface game would be to say that the the player's device assumes the role of the player characters or the protagonist's device. So uh, in like a normal lost phone by Accidental Queens, the phone that we're playing the game on kind of stands in for the phone that in the game's fiction, the the player character has has found. So I guess I would define them that way and say that uh, they've become a really interesting vehicle for thinking about 
questions of uh, privacy and consent, especially in cases where we're playing the games on the same devices that we use to kind of uh, conduct online banking or buy things or do work or interact with people. I think that's kind of that kind of demonstrates why these sorts of games have been getting a lot of attention recently, I think, because those are also a lot of issues that are very much in the news, like about issues of privacy and consent when it comes to these major online platforms and stuff and what's going on there. So I guess we can say that this this genre of game has been a little bit popular or maybe even had like a resurgence recently. Um, and even won some awards, like I'm thinking of the work of Sam Barlow, who did Her Story, which is kind of based on a older, like 1995-style Windows desktop, and his newer one, Telling Lies, which is much more kind of contemporary um, bits of media. And also um, Natalie Lawhead's work, Everything's Gonna Be Okay, most recently. And also her Electric Zine Maker project also kind of riff on you know, the typical desktop looks and kind of make it, you know, a bit crazy and abstract. So I think, yeah, these are all really interesting things that kind of have to do with, you know, what people are thinking about and what a concern is. But are you aware of any kind of interesting earlier examples that you've come across? Yeah, so I, I guess I was I was writing a lot about uh, games that are post-Snowden uh, in a way. And I, I think... Um, Telling Lies, I haven't actually played it yet, but I believe that's sort of engaging with uh, the National Security Agency and, the, and their kind of mass surveillance, which is also true of a game like Robert Yang's uh, Cobra Club, which kind of starts off as this uh, this risque selfie simulator, but then there's this kind of twist um, that again very much plays on the idea that you're, you're sort of playing on this machine that's also connected online and is doing things with these photos you create uh, in-game that you have given consent for, but you might not understand uh, the implications of clicking agree on that. Uh, so certainly a lot of them are from this period, but there are, there are some kind of interesting slightly earlier titles. I mean, I, I think Christine Love's Don't Take It Personally, Babe is from 2011. So it kind of predates uh, Snowden and Cambridge Analytica and a lot of those discussions. Um, but also in terms of Sam Barlow and his work, uh, one game I do talk about in the book is uh, Silent Hill Shattered Memories, which uh, he was a designer on and is a kind of remake of the, the first Silent Hill game from 1999 that came out 10 years later. Um, and it's not necessarily desperately successful on its own terms, but it is really interesting for a number of reasons. Uh, one of which is that it now, kind of 10 years later, really reads as a precursor to uh, walking sims, so-called, or story exploration games, uh, in that you're kind of walking around this town from a first-person perspective and uh, kind of scouring for clues, uh, picking up these objects and inspecting them as you search for your daughter. Um, but also there's a degree of sort of um, interface game in there in that you're equipped with this smartphone that is uh, a way of doing all sorts of things, including sort of picking up messages and uh, registering these spectral presences all over the town through uh, taking photos and, and listening to voicemails. Um, and it... Uh, Perhaps most interesting of all, I, the game attempts to kind of psychologically profile the player as you play. Um, not dissimilar to what Blast Theory's Karen app did, I guess. Uh, it uses one of these kind of five factor models of personality, uh, which is the sort of thing that Cambridge Analytica also used to, to try and uh, build psychological profiles of social media users. Uh, and it attempts to kind of reshuffle the uh, the game assets and to rejig the storyline according to its reading of you. 
Um, so it's it's really interesting as a quite early attempt to to kind of think within the confines of what was quite a commercial game um, about how games read their players, what kinds of data they can collect and what the implications of that might be. And it kind of wraps it all up in a gothic mystery. Uh, but yeah, it's not not entirely successful. I'm sure there are there are kind of earlier uh, desktop sims or interface games, and of course, games share this kind of genealogy with uh, simulations and training programs of all sorts. Um, but I guess I've mostly looked at ones that are kind of engaging with the implications of smartphones and social media and and kind of uh, mid noughties and beyond kind of culture. Yeah, I mean, it it is kind of a, a really contemporary issue um especially you know with regards to like the psychological profiles that may be you know existing out there on the internet about you that you don't even know about for advertising and algorithmic curation and all those sorts of things um but something i found really interesting is that in your research you also connect these games like christine loves don't take it personal babe um which was the first one you mentioned but also her later stuff like um analog and the hate plus series which also kind of involve snooping around in a database of things that you've come across and also Fulbright's Tacoma, which has a similar concept. These are all games where the player explores a database of writing and media related to several different characters, and you kind of connect that to Henry James's novella, The Aspirin Papers, which also involves an archive of a fictional poet's life. I'm just kind of wondering what led you to make that comparison? Like, what do you think are the surprising similarities between these works, despite how separate they are in time? And maybe what's the most interesting difference as well? Right, yeah, um, great question. I guess part of the answer is just that my own background is in uh, literature, and like my master's work uh, was mainly about late Victorian queer literature. So uh, it's it's a moment when there are also quite a lot of uh, new and emerging technologies, not least the telegraph and the kind of mass media that are making people think about uh, secrecy and scandal and uh, surveillance. Uh, it's also a moment when particularly in the realm of gender and sexuality, ideas of identity are shifting or up for grabs in some respects, partly to do with emerging ideas in medicine and psychology but also uh, things like Oscar Wilde's trial and this, this kind of uh, scandalous revelation about a homosexual subculture in, in the UK. And James, as an author, he's very much read by, by queer theorists. Uh, his work is interested in kind of uh, secrets and in revelation. Uh, he destroyed a lot of his own kind of personal archive. Uh, partly, perhaps, people speculate because uh, he didn't want revelations about his own sexuality to get out. In works like the Aspen Papers, he's sort of engaging with epistolary fiction, so kind of books where there are letters and diaries woven into the plot, and also with uh, the Gothic, and gets into some interesting kind of ethical grey areas that I think are sometimes missed in contemporary games that are dealing with these things. I've been quite inspired by Melissa Kagan's work on what she calls archival adventures, uh, and she sort of argues that many of these games that we think of as walking sims or as uh, I think Hannah Wood calls them story exploration games, uh, we might instead think about as archival adventures. You move around these spaces or these databases, uh, you kind of collect and piece together these uh, different scraps of information from kind of photos and diaries and cassette tapes, and you kind of build up a picture of what's happened in the past. And of course, uh, Fulbright's games uh, like Gone Home and Tacoma 
uh, are incredibly uh, influential and have been incredibly important, not least uh, in their positive portrayal of queer characters. But I think they're often quite sort of celebratory of this idea that uh, all of these old dark secrets need to be brought to light uh, and that uh, telling these stories is always a kind of um, ethically good, necessary act. When in fact, I think digging around in the archive raises quite a lot of uncomfortable ethical questions. Um, I think Love's work does maybe much better at kind of bringing those questions to light in um, analogue. She kind of pits these two uh, AI characters against one another. They have very different uh, readings of what has happened and why on this space station we're uh, poking around in the databanks of. Uh, and she kind of confronts us with the fact that our understanding of uh, how people behave and why it shifts over time and that there's not necessarily one uh, true uplifting historical narrative that can be brought to light if only we sort of do the necessary digging. So I, I think there are still obviously resonances with older work and, and with uh, Henry James's work in particular. But I guess as we move towards a kind of digital world where forms of uh, prediction and calculation that were impossible in the era of telegraphy take over, there's, there's also maybe some concerns that don't apply now. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because I, I guess in general the, the like interface game and the walking simulator are kind of considered apart or two different genres, but... Mm. I do think you, you kind of do have to be in the same attitude to play them where you are snooping and curious and maybe, yeah. maybe I don't know, the the interface of the interface game where it is something that is kind of familiar or even like a bit nostalgic to us that makes it a bit more real. So there there's more of like you kind of get the ethical consideration more where I feel like in a lot of the kind of more well-known walking simulators, your relationship to this information and how it exists in the space is like very abstracted, like you just kind of come across it. So it's a little innocent in a way, like whoops, you know? So yeah, it, it's interesting to see how the form of the game kind of changes how we engage with these two very similar actions, but represented differently spatially. Yeah, right. And I would argue that Gone Home, for example, is very much responding to kind of digital ways of uh, collating and displaying information, but it's doing so by kind of rejecting them and instead trying to place you in this story world where everything is uh, tangible and analog is there by its absence. And obviously Tacoma deals with the digital, but in quite a similar way. Coming back to the idea of the interface that is presented in these types of games, a lot of them are kind of a bit nostalgic. Like, I guess her story is probably the strongest example of that because it really goes out of its way to kind of make it look like a CRT monitor and kind of include all these, you know, bits of Windows 95 style buttons and so on. But a lot of others try to, you know, represent things that are more contemporary or even, you know, kind of futuristic or like speculative, like, oh, they could potentially make an app like this, and this is how it would work, and these are kind of the weird things that would happen with collecting data in this way. So I guess, do you see these games changing as the way that we relate to technology is always, you know, constantly changing? That's, that's a really good question. I, I think particularly with the kind of more autobiographical games, there is often a concern with capturing the look and feel of particular kind of uh, systems and software, uh, because they are obviously very evocative of a particular time and place. 
but yeah, you're right. There are other interface games that are kind of more futuristic and more speculative, and in some cases might be helping to fuel the hype for developments like augmented reality, which we're perpetually told is just around the corner. Uh, but also maybe can play this kind of more critical role in helping us to think through the implications of new systems. I think I'm quite interested in general in the way that gaming culture, while it's obviously uh, very forward-looking in some respects and is always obsessed with the kind of next generation and with uh, the next upgrade or iteration, um, is also profoundly nostalgic. In some ways that are just sort of sentimental and retrograde, but in some ways that sometimes seem a bit more uh, sinister and reactionary. I, I guess people like uh, Robert Topinka have, have talked about the degree of sort of nostalgia in alt-right politics and aesthetics and where some of that crosses over with aspects of cyberpunk and vaporwave and these, these kind of engagements with outmoded but at the time futuristic technological aesthetics that allow people to sort of pine for a time before PC culture notionally ruined everything and civil rights ruined everything. Mm. But there are also, I suppose, more reflexive forms of nostalgia. Uh, and I'm drawing there on Svetlana Boim's distinction between restorative nostalgia and reflexive nostalgia. I think looking back to some of these systems, as well as kind of giving people warm and fuzzy feelings of nostalgia, it can be a really potent reminder that not that long ago, there were ways of interacting online that were kind of less uh, centralized and more DIY, for example. Nina Freeman's games are obviously very nostalgic, but it is uh, kind of a window on a different age where learning a bit of HTML was a route to a different experience of the internet and a, a way of kind of building different kinds of communities. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I definitely like all the time think about how it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, we don't really have blogs. We just post on like Twitter or other sort of centralized sites now. We don't really have, you know, AIM. We just kind of use these other like web-based services to chat and communicate with people. It's it's really not the same though. There's there's certain things you know about the kind of you know disconnectedness from everything else that was you know an AIM account. It wasn't something that you had to use your real name on. It wasn't something that was connected to your email address and all your other things. So it's it's interesting to see how these things evolve and kind of condense you know certain activities and kind of remove other ones. I guess speaking of all the variety of things people are coming up with and doing online, you've kind of also written about some other forms of digital self-presentation, like ASMR videos. Yeah, that's a little yeah crazy. <laughs> I mean, I guess I don't, I don't get it, so I don't I don't understand the videos fully. I guess there's there's a lot of discussion around that, and that also kind of has a bit of overlap with you know anything kind of involving streaming personalities, like let's play videos or you know competitive gaming and gaming spectatorship. I guess to kind of wrap things up, what are some other examples of platforms or tools for this kind of activity that you find especially interesting at this point in time? Sure. So, well, I guess to, to go back to, to ASMR videos, um, maybe people won't even know what that acronym means, but uh, these are videos designed to, to induce this uh, tingling sensation that certain people apparently experience in response to particular audiovisual triggers, um, including kind of whispered speech. And there's this whole uh, universe of role play videos in particular, where uh, 
performers kind of do these these whispered monologues in character as dentists or shop assistants or librarians to try and trigger this. And I really became aware of this while looking at video game Let's Play videos and looking in particular at a kind of subset of Skyrim players who role play as their avatars on YouTube and kind of deliver these commentaries on what's happening in game in character. And some of these videos would also be ASMR videos. And I guess I find that culture interesting. I don't experience ASMR either but not unlike uh, video games it they are kind of a form that's designed very much to speak to the body and to engage people in a very uh, visceral way although I write quite a lot about more narrative based games I play a lot of kind of uh, twitchier more simplistic kind of real-time stuff um, that doesn't necessarily deal that much in kind of meaning or symbolism or narrative and engages you on a different level. And I think that's obviously a, a huge part of streaming and let's plays and vlogging culture in general. Uh, I suppose scholars like Kat Brewster have talked about this, how um, streamers kind of perform these uh, very affective responses to, to games, whether it's uh, exhilaration or fear or exasperation or awe and they kind of allow uh, communities to, to have these feelings in common. So I am really interested in, in the role of um, social media in allowing those kinds of cultures to emerge and also the way that platforms uh, kind of push people towards amplifying certain aspects of their performances or um, allow for the, the kind of crossbreeding of different genres in ways that are sometimes quite sinister, because I, I guess the, the metrics drive people to try and uh, double down on, on certain traits and to turn them into assets. But they have also kind of given birth to these, these amazing scenes like speedrunning, which I, I know you've, you've looked at a bit. Mm, yeah. These uh, cultures seem, seem to have kind of uh, developed out the petri dish of the internet, particularly since the growth of sort of uh, metrics and upvotes and downvotes and algorithmic recommendations and these often slightly opaque ways of just uh, shuttling content around. Yeah, I mean, I guess that, that about wraps up the amount of time that we have. Do you want to mention any projects or like the current direction your research is going in right now just to close off the interview? Sure, so I, I guess my current book project is looking a bit more at this question of uh, gaming and growing up and how games have always been dogged by this idea that maybe they're for kids but maybe one day they'll develop into a, a serious medium and I'm, I'm quite interested in what that would even mean in a culture where um, things like uh, home ownership and uh, marriage and pensions and having kids are increasingly either unavailable or undesirable for people uh, so gaming culture in relations to notions of what it means to grow up and to be an adult is kind of my, my focus right now and I'm trying to get that book together alright well that was all extremely interesting so thank you very much thank you thanks for such great questions we hope you enjoyed this episode of Keywords in Play for more great ideas around games check out criticaldistance.com or take a dive into the Digra archives at digra.